Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Cheryl Hickey. Cheryl is the longtime host of Entertainment Tonight Canada, greeting over half a million loyal viewers each night as she relays in-depth profiles, breaking news coverage, and behind-the-scenes exclusives across our country. She also just survived and thrived following a renovation of her family home in conjunction <laughs> with Allaire Homes, benefiting the Sick Kids Foundation. Welcome, Cheryl, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Uh, thank you for having me. I am great. And I am currently sitting in our primary bedroom, just looking out over all the trees in this beautiful, beautiful day. Well, I would like to ask about your family because school is now out, which must mean big changes to your daily routine. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, it's really great. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we didn't have all these activities booked and running left, right and center when I was a kid. My parents and, and primarily, I would say, because we couldn't afford to go to all the camps, but we also had the luxury. My mom was home um, with me until I was in grade one um, and my brother and sister were older. So so we had the luxury of having summers being wake up when you wake up, barely wear shoes, run around to the neighbors, perhaps, or just hang out at the house and play games or not. It was really a non-structured summer. I mean, sometimes we would go on little mini road trips and things like that. But really, summer was, for us growing up, a real time to just slow down, reconnect, daydream, imagine, hope, all the things, be with family. And I've really tried to embrace that this summer with the kids. I think when you have two people working in a household, you have no choice but to book the kids up for activities and all of those things because where do they go? I remember when I first had my kids, that was my main concern. It was like, how are we going to do summer? So this year, my son is old enough to sort of have a little more freedom. So, you know, my daughter's in a, in a couple of camps, but for the most part, I really just want them to disconnect and slow down because our world is so fast and so busy and this time for them is so precious. Well, I like your plan. A little mix of Programmed and unprogrammed. Yeah. Let's please go back, if we may, all the way back. Get the Cheryl Hickey story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. Yeah, I was born in a really, really small town, I think of like 500, uh, Shallow Lake, Ontario. And I, I always say it on sound because a lot of people don't know where Shallow Lake is. But Shallow Lake is just outside of Owen Sound. And if anybody goes up to Saddle Beach or any place up there, it was the little house right across from the little white church. <laughs> That's how small town we were. We, you know, we had one little little penny candy store called the Ed Allen store and a coffee shop that my dad always went to and they called it the office. So I grew up sort of a little bit in the country, but not really in the city um, out on the highway. And yeah, it was just a, a really wonderful upbringing. We had a back 40 to play in build fort, climb trees, you know, learn to drive a car with a rider lawnmower. A lot, my dad would make a pattern in the grass and then that's how we kind of figured out how to drive. Tried to ride 10 speed bikes on gravel roads, like super dangerous, not fun on the highway, but we did it. You know, at the time, I guess I, I remember thinking from time to time that it was boring. But now when I look back, it was anything but, you know. 
I hate to say it, Cheryl, you've officially joined the old man club with me. That's what I always say. Back in the day, we did it this way and yeah. couldn't believe you weren't wearing seatbelts. Oh my gosh. I remember my dad letting me sit on his lap and steer the car down the highway. That, and it was so fun, so unsafe. But, but anyway, yeah. T- times have changed. Now your television and broadcasting career kind of bit you early. You were a yes. teenager. You volunteered at your local cable station and you got what you called the mass media bug. What was that? And and of course, are you okay today? <laughs> yeah. No, I think I'm still suffering from it, but, but I, think, I think I'm making it work for me. Yeah. I, I was 16 years old and my dad said to me, hey, listen, as much as I love this whole going out to the beach and dunes party at night, and all that stuff and sleeping in and swimming and going to the beach with your friends. I really think in the summer you need to start volunteering and figuring out, you know, what do you what do you like? What's your passion and all that kind of stuff. And my mom was like, listen, you really like to talk and you ask a lot of questions. Um, and at the time I was really into watching Barbara Walters and all of her interviews and Oprah and those things captivated me. And I, you know, the art of conversation to me is just something so special and unique. No AI can make that. Let me tell you that. So my dad was like, listen, I saw an ad on the TV. They were looking for volunteers at the cable station. Would you be interested? And I was like, let's go check it out. So we jumped in the car. We went out and I got a tour of the cable station. And immediately I was just like absolutely flabbergasted with how many different jobs there were, but all under the same umbrella. And then we started talking about radio and what that meant and the art of storytelling. And I was like, I think, I think this is my jam. So I volunteered there for the summer and they gave me a camera and taught me how to edit a little bit. And I would do little PSAs and stuff for the cable station. And then my dad's like, Hey, listen, I know you're 17 and my mom, I know you're 17, but why don't we apply to college and see how that goes? I was like, okay. So I went and did summer school so I could bump up all my courses And I got accepted to Fanshawe College and then off I went. In hindsight, way too young to go live on your own because my mom did everything for us and I couldn't clip, I couldn't balance a checkbook. I was a mess. So my first year I ate McDonald's and was just like barely alive. So if I could go back, I would say, oh, dad, let's just wait one more year. But it all worked out. Well, as you know, broadcast journalism at Fanshawe College, which is in London. Now, London would have been a much bigger city from whence you came. And oh. you talk a little about the challenges in adjusting at a younger age. But did you enjoy being in London? Oh, I did. I love London. I love the people. I loved the kind of university college atmosphere. Um, at the time, a lot of my older friends were also at Western University. So they sort of adopted me as their, um, as their pet, I suppose. But I... At that time, my program was a two-year program. It's now been since stretched into a three, maybe a four-year program. And I think that was wise because it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Barely slept. Maybe a little bit of partying in there for sure, uh, for good measure. But it was um, it was really, really difficult. It was a rude awakening for me into the real world. But, you know, you survive, right? Absolutely. And you did because back home... Back to the Owen Sound area. What was your first job out of Fanshawe? Yeah, I uh, applied to be the summer fun cruiser event girl. So essentially that meant I drove around the Grapers County area in the summer, went to various different beaches and gave away stuff. 
on the radio. And it was the best job ever because everyone was so happy to see you all the time. And I just got to drive and yeah, it was wonderful. It was the, it was the best job ever. And then I, after the summer, I applied to be a reporter um, and then later went on to do, gosh, I don't remember. I think it was the weekend drive doing the news. Yeah. For, and for the this was This was radio, the K106.5? That's right. Yeah. Now, from there, Cheryl, you move on to the new VR in Barrie. Now, I, I got the sense this is where you really learned some of the skills. You, you learned school skills, and then you learned on-the-job skills. And you really did everything, it sounds like, at the new VR. Yeah, I, I, I think I started there as a writer. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I did my internship at the new VR in Barrie from school. And then I went there as a writer for the 6 o'clock news which gave me incredible anxiety, performance anxiety. I found it so daunting to write the words for the six o'clock news anchor. I remember I, I sat there for like an hour trying to write a simple tease. And I remember one of the producers uh, at the time saying to me, you just, you're in your head, you're frozen. You need to, you need to let it go. And it was, it was really, really challenging to actually get outside of my head. And then from there, I started to shadow some of the cameramen at night and women, actually. Um, there's one woman there, Audra Brown. She now works for City TV. Uh, and I always had my eyes on her, watching in awe of what she was doing. And another guy named Don, a few different people took me under their wing and kind of when I was finished my shift would allow me to go out with them on their shift. And then I would stay till like three in the morning editing whatever video I took on my camera and would package myself into the story and leave the tape on my boss's desk to be like, what do you think? So this went on for a couple of years. And that boss at that time, did I, little did I know, was actually just taping, taking my tapes and filing them under his desk. He had no interest in putting me on camera, no interest in helping me advance my career at all. And I would say he was my biggest life lesson in how to be treated. And I think I I wouldn't I won't name a name because I don't think that's a good thing to do, but what I do think is adversity is a really good thing early on in your career. I I do because I think it helps you create boundaries for yourself and realize the difference between how you want to be treated and how you know you deserve to be treated. And it was interesting when I got offered the job in Toronto, at first I didn't want to take it. And I'll, I'll explain how I got offered that job a little later. But when I got offered the job in Toronto, I didn't want to take it because I was terrified to drive in Toronto. I'd never driven in Toronto. I'd never really anything. It was the, actually that six o'clock news anchor that I froze writing for who said to me, if you don't take this job, it'll be the biggest mistake of your life. And I went to that boss who gave me the adversity and I said to him, I don't want to take this job. I, 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 I really want to do on-air stuff here at the new VR. And he said, listen, what I'll do for you is I'll put you on the 6 o'clock at 11. I'll give you an opportunity to do one story a week. And I actually was almost considering it to stay because I was just so kind of, I'd really believed for a long time the things that he said that I wasn't good at my job. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't all the things. And I later found out that when I went to Toronto and 
took the job and started on air as the helicopter person and all those things started happening, the big wigs down at City TV said, why didn't we know about her? How did you not tell me about her? The word was he got a little reprimanded for not ever showing anybody my tapes or I show. So, yeah, it was a real life lesson for me. You know, he didn't see any value in me. And he let me know that almost on the daily that I was not worth anything. But had I not taken that job, I don't I don't know where it'd be. It's interesting if, if I hadn't jumped. Well, like you say, Cheryl, it's the real world, right? We're going to meet all kinds. And at that stage, you're still looking for your confidence and treating yeah. others as you want to be treated and rising tide floats up. I mean, they all sound kind of trite, but they're, all these things true. come out of this, but they are true. But the good news is, even though he was filing these tapes under his desk and never seen the light of day, he still harnessed all these skills as a photojournalist slash videographer. And as you say, you did move over to Global Television Network. You're now the news chopper reporter. In fact, apparently the first woman in Canada to shoot and report from a helicopter. And I still think we hold that title. I still think. (laughs) Yeah. But what I have to ask Cheryl is, did you actually enjoy flying in this chopper? No, no, (laughs) didn't. I used to eat a sleeve of saltine crackers every day on the drive up to the helicopter. And it's interesting. So that job came about because another cameraman, kindly and unbeknownst to me, went to his person, a person he knew who was the news director at Global at Global News, uh, Paul Rogers, who I will forever be in debt to, uh, both of those gentlemen. And he said, there's this girl, I think you need to take a look at what she's doing. I don't know exactly what he said, but Paul Rogers, the news director of Global News, called me out of nowhere. And I at first kind of thought it was a joke. Um, and he said, I'd really like to drive up to Barrie and have a coffee with you. The news director of a Toronto Global News wants to drive up to Barrie to meet me, Sharon Lakey from Owen Sound from Shallow Lake. Are you kidding me? So I did what any logical person would do. And I went to Le Chateau and bought my my very first pin, pinstripe suit to look really professional. Shout out to Le Chateau. Le Chateau. And went into that. I can still remember sitting like five minutes before I went into that coffee shop and just being like, like, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I went in and I remember him saying to me, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, on air for sure doing that. I don't even remember what I said. And he said, well, we're looking for to create a new position, a videography position. It would be from three to 11 at night. And you would shoot your story from three to five, edit your story, then race out to the airport, get up in the air. You would shoot all the beauty shots for the show and all the beauty shots that would intro each person's story. And then you would throw to your own story from the helicopter, jump back down, shoot your second story of the day between six and nine, come back, edit that, and then go live at 11, and then you go Now I was like, oh, I can totally do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I leave that coffee shop meeting and I'm like, never been on air. Terrified of heights. Like it just went from one thing to the next. This is like a a TSN turning point. Well, this is like a TSN turning point. Yeah. The story goes from there. He offers me this job and I said, I'm going to have to think about it. Because immediately I start to become afraid. I'm thinking, never driven in Toronto. I don't know anybody in Toronto. My boyfriend's here in Barrie. 
I'll be further away from my parents. I'm thinking of all the reasons I can't do. And I'm thinking all the things that that former boss told me. You're not really any good. You're not ready. You're, 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 you're. All those things are running through my head. And that's when that six o'clock news anchor came in and said, listen, kiddo, if you don't take this chance. It's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. So I remember he called and he said, so what do you think? And I was like, okay. Took the job. Um, that then boss, I went in and told him that I took the job. And he said to me, okay, well, this is your two weeks, right? I said, yes, my two weeks. And that's when he kind of offered me that Sunday thing. And I said, no, I'm going to gonna do this. And he said, okay, so you've got two weeks. So two weeks, I think it was about one week into that two weeks and doing my job. And everyone within the building was so excited for me because they knew sort of the adversity that I was up against. So there, I suppose there was like a buzz in the newsroom a bit to which he called me in and reprimanded me for 45 minutes. I can remember sitting, looking at my watch with my head down and him yelling at me with his secretary in the room saying, I made you who you are. Who do you think you are? You're never going to make it. This is going to be your biggest mistake. Like just, it was awful. And I remember thinking, what have I done? Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And then he escorted me out of the building, walking me past all the edifice where all the windows were in front of all my coworkers, wouldn't even let me get my purse. And he said, you're a distraction to the newsroom, you're out. And so I left. That was how I started my journey into Toronto. And I was terrified and sad. And instead of being excited and all those things, I was going into it being like, whoa, what have I done? It's real life. Like, unfortunately. Real life, yeah. And, and when you look back at the younger yourself, to have a start like that where you're just thrown in disarray, your confidence is not even there. And, oh, you ha- I had none. And you're thinking, maybe he's right, right? Like, maybe this is going to oh, be yeah. a mistake. But the uh, good news, of course, is that you did thrive, made the best choice. I have to warn you, Cheryl, if you really uh, did have to eat a sleeve of saltines every time you went, I'm going to highly recommend you stay off the 404. I use it all the time past good old Buttonville Airport. Yes. And your global chopper still can regularly be seen taking off and landing. And that would probably give you uh, the heebie-jeebies. Listen, it was a really fun time, but we had we had some... There were times where we had close calls in that helicopter that, that people don't know about. Because, you know, weather and lightning and you know, technical things that were happening. But um, I even remember it was it was Y2K. Do you remember Y2K when everyone thought when the clock struck midnight, everything was going to shut down? Do you remember that? Sure. So at the time, they said, listen, we want to do live shots over the city. Will you be willing to ring in the new year over the CN Tower in the helicopter? And I was like, sure. Because at that time, I was just yes to everything. They said, well, we're going to need you to sign all these insurance papers. I was like, okay. So I had to get extra insurance, all the things. And I remember at midnight, the chopper guy and I looked at each other and we were like, well, happy new year. Let's see how this goes. It's 11.59. So either going to go really well or again. Anyway. You're braver than me. The minute they bring out extra insurance papers, that's when I usually say, uh, I'll take a pass. Yeah, exactly. Listen, it's it's funny. I've learned though. I think all of these little things, every time, not that you're supposed to ignore your fear, 
But every time I was really afraid of the unknown and I leaned into it a little bit, really wonderful things happened. And for me, that sort of is my barometer, really, that when I'm nervous about a new adventure or nervous about a new project, most of the time I'm onto something great. It's just you have to work through the fear and trust that everything will work out and that you will rise to the occasion and that it will work out. So I've I've now understood that pattern for myself. But at the time, I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> well, yeah. you did lean into it. And you had yeah. another, in addition to Y2K, another big experience after you had subsequently moved on to entertainment reporting. One notable event you covered was the Rolling Stones Benefit Concert 2003, known as SARS Stock. And there were half a million people there. Cheryl, what do you remember about that? I remember that being like really powerful and very overwhelming and seeing Mick Jagger and everyone for the first time and just kind of really being in awe of what a spectacular uh, moment in time that was. I remember when that happened, SARS happened, I was still working in news and they were sending us cameramen and women and reporters uh, to people's houses. And I remember being like, should I be concerned of your, I was young enough to be like, ah, it's fine. You know, where you just, um, but then when SARS stock happened, I remember just what a really big deal it was and how the city and um, surrounding areas all came together to, to really do something spectacular. And that concert must've been crazy. I mean, the, the acts there were unbelievable. Yeah, it really was. It was it was an unbelievable experience to see it. It was one hot day, I remember. But it was a lot of frenzy. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview, please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime. We got Glass Tigers' Alan Frew, The Boxes' Jean-Marc Pisapia, Quiet Riot's Rudy Sarzo, Strange Advances' Drew Arnett, Chalk Circle's Chris Tate, Blue Rodeo's Basil Donovan, and guitarist extraordinaire Sean Kelly. How they did it? Directly from the Toronto legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. So in 2005, the Entertainment Tonight brand came to Canada. Cheryl, you were a day one as co-host of ET Canada alongside friend of this podcast, Mr. Rick Campanelli. How did the ET Canada opportunity come about? So at the time I was working in news, I remember, again, I it was the same suit that I wore to the meeting with the Paul Rogers. I remember this. I had a, a manila envelope and I went up to the VPs and I was like, listen, I think I should be the Canadian correspondent to Entertainment Tonight here in Canada. And I had this all these reasons why. And they're like, thank you very much, Cheryl. OK, we'll take a look at that. Never to be heard of again. So probably a year later, I heard, hey, there's rumblings they're going to do an entertainment show. It's like, wow, okay, well, I really want to audition for that. So I went to the EPs who were running the show at the time and said, I'd like to audition. And where my desk was, my news desk was, I was able to see all of the people coming into audition. We had models, actors, sportscasters the who's who of our on-air community here in Toronto and really around Canada coming in to audition. And every time I'd see someone committed, like, oh, got a chance. There's no way I'm going to get this job. And it was just, I was sinking lower and lower into my chair as I was like typing out my story for the day. And then my opportunity came up to try out and I went and 
really nervous and just gave it my all, did did the best that I could. And I felt like it went really, really well. And then about a week later, I had a meeting with them and they said, here's the deal. We're going to be honest with you. We're not looking for someone like you. We're not, we don't want someone with blonde hair, blue eyes, and we don't want someone that people know. We want a fresh start. And I was like, okay, I'm not, you know, what are you going to do? Because that's our industry, right? There's times when in radio, people want someone with a deep baritone voice or they want like, so I understood that that was just part, they were putting a cast together and I wasn't what they wanted. So at some point you got to be like, all right. But what happened through that audition process is it really lit a fire in me where I was like, ooh, I need a change. Like I, I want more. I don't know what the more is, but I know I want more. So I did the logical thing that everybody does when you're faced with that situation. I booked a ticket to see a boy in Australia. <laughs> I went there for three weeks. Did you take your Le Chateau suit? I did not. It was very hot, but good, but good ass. It was a burgundy pinstripe suit. It was so fantastic. Oh, gosh, I wish I still had it. So I went to Australia and sort of like just, you know, had a great time. Wonderful. But by the time I came back, I was like, no, I, I need to start looking like I'm very grateful for the opportunities I had at Global, but I also know that I want more. So a couple of weeks goes by and I'm mulling it over, talking to my mom, talking to family and everybody. And I get a call that says, we'd like you to come downtown to talk to some of the executives. And I'm like, oh, they're just going to let me off the hook politely because I was working in news. I had a relatively big job there. And I thought they were just doing their due diligence and being really nice. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll come down. So I went down to this legal office downtown. It was actually in in the Eaton Center, one of those buildings that are attached to it. And I remember it was a a rain, it was a really bad rainstorm. And I was driving down the DVP and I was talking to my mom and she's like, listen, keep cool. No matter what, just poker face, just be, thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Don't get upset. I know, because sometimes when I get really passionate, I'll cry. It's not that I'm sad. It's just like, I'm really passionate about something. My kids do well on something, I cry. If I'm really happy about something, I'll cry. It's just, I don't know. I'm that person. So she's like, keep it together. Like, cool, got this. And I get there and I remember I walked into this boardroom. Barb Williams was sitting there. Zeb Shalep was sitting there. I was kind of looking through them at a building, just trying to be very centered. And they're like, hey, you know, we really appreciate you auditioning and being so patient and whatever they said. And then all I heard was, we'd really like to offer you the host position of this entertainment show. And my whole braid, it was like there, someone took the ribbon went boom and spun it all the way around. It was a, the most out-of-body experience. And I, I, I think I just stopped breathing. And then Barb was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And she said, we should tell you also that your co-host will be Rick Campanelli. And immediately my brain was like, what? Because I grew up watching Rick on Much Music. And on Sundays after going out partying with my girlfriends, I would eat my McDonald's and watch like all the music videos and just watch Rick all day long. So that was a big shock. And then they mentioned Roz Weston, who I knew from Mad Dog and Billy and all the radio fame there. And he worked, he was a really incredible, integral part of the Bynan show. So I knew he was just like brilliant. And then they mentioned that Rosie Etta and Kim Dion. And by the way, this was like the by the way, 
by the way, it's the Canadian version of Entertainment Tonight. What do you think? And I, like my whole body, I just didn't know what to do. Cheryl, you're officially invited to my next poker game because uh, your poker uh, face is not strong. So that means you're going to give away. Hope you will read your cards very easily. Oh my God. But, oh my God. Yeah. But isn't it great when you're, you can show your real feeling and this, as you know, kind of out of this story about the ups and the downs and you get this acceptance. I mean, it couldn't, as you say, the by the way, it couldn't get any better, the cherry on top. Oh. What, what I'm wondering about is when they actually started to prepare for this launch, obviously Entertainment Tonight, this iconic brand. How much did you have to do with the Entertainment Tonight team and the CBS executives from the U.S.? Wow, it's a great question. Listen, they had done it once before, I believe, in Australia, and I'm not sure that it actually worked when they did it in Australia. So I think they were giving it another go here. And the CBS executives couldn't have been more, gosh, supportive and excited for us, but very firm on how they wanted it to look, how they wanted it to rule. Like they were there in the control room you know, weeks leading up to like help, you know, to decide the the way the set was going to look and the camera angles and all of it. Like they were very hands-on to the very first day they were in the control room. And I remember just, I was so nervous. I just, I, I did all the things. I tried to be Mary Hart, Barbara Walters, Oprah Winfrey. I talked loud. I was super happy. It was all aggressive. And I probably didn't find my footing about who I really was for a good year. I'm honest, because I was trying to be what everyone wanted me to be. Um, not that they were telling me, but I was like over, trying to over deliver. And it took me about a year to, to settle into myself. But they were incredibly hands on. And then they had us come down to LA. And we did at the time, TV Guide was still a thing. And we did a big cover shoot with TV Guide with Mark Steinis and Mary Hart. And Mary was so welcoming. Like it was just I didn't know where I was coming or going. I was like, am I still at the Little White Church in Shadow Lake? Like, what is happening here? Was John Tesh still on the scene or? He was not. No, I think he was gone by that time. But I'm very pleased to hear that Mary Hart was nice to you. Oh my gosh, she was She was so lovely. And not just to me, she was really nice to our entire crew. She was, she was, she was always warm and welcoming and kind, um, as was Mark. And their entire crew. And CBS, truthfully, has always been that way to me and our crew since since time began. It's They've never made us feel second or, or anything like that. They've always just been really proud of our show. Um, and I think that, you know, how long we've been around and sort of how we've been received in people's homes, they're, they're very impressed by that. So they love Canada. Well, you fast forward to today, as you say, so many years now and so much experience. You've literally met and interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of celebrities. Who were you absolutely starstruck meeting? Yeah, gosh, there's there's many. I was in Cannes for the film festival and I got a call and they said, listen, E.T. in the States, their person didn't make it or something happened. Could you go do the interview, not just for ET Canada, but could you also do an interview for e- Entertainment Tonight? You'll be on Entertainment Tonight. And I was just like, uh, and then they added, oh, by the way, it's with Don Cheadle, George Clooney, and Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon for Oceans. I was like, what is my life? So I literally I remember taking my sandals off, walking across this hot beach, 
and plopping on two director's chairs with these guys and the, the ocean is in the back. It was just, I had to be, I had to get myself together for sure. That was a big moment. And I assume Oprah was another big one. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, yeah. The first time I met Oprah, um, she came to Toronto. She was doing a speaking series or something. I remember that day I, I, I like I had the flu or something was I wasn't feeling very good. And I'm really grateful, actually, that I was not feeling very good because I was so concentrating on just feeling good that I wasn't nervous. <laughs> I wouldn't allow myself to be nervous. But she was gracious and she was fun and she was so kind to our entire crew and I sat for about an hour and watched her rehearsal. And I was in awe of how she commanded a stage. She made everyone feel like an important part of the team. And she's just a star. Like, she blows. She's amazing. Celine Dion was another one when she had her first residency. And Renee Angelil was so wonderful and so kind. And she was lovely. And when we got into, I think it was Caesar's Palace, the whole bottom floor was her home in Florida. So they they took the design and replicated it there so that her child would not know the difference to make it feel like home. Anyway, she was great. We had a beautiful talk about breastfeeding. It was so much fun. She was great. So yeah, that was another really wonderful one. But Cheryl, you know, in life, you may look up to someone, may idolize them, and then sometimes you meet them yeah. and they either exceed your expectations or you regret ever having met them because it ruins the whole thing. So yes. let's start on the positive side. Is there anyone who kind of exceeded your expectations when you met them in real life? Probably. I mean, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, they say don't meet your heroes, right? Because, you know, she brought mindfulness to the masses um, with her show at 4.30 every day. And I was always just so, gosh, she was such a teacher. Although she did a really wonderful interview with celebrities, she also made sure when you left her show, you were better for it. You learned something. You were going to go use it in your life. You got that little flash of celebrity and that was fun, but you also had a takeaway. And so when I met her, I was really like, oh, is this going to be the person I've built up in my mind? And she really is that person. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but of course I do want to ask if anyone totally disappointed you and you regretted meeting them in real life. I don't know if I should tell this story. But I'm going to give this person an out and be like, listen, everybody has a bad day and everybody has a reason or a season. Okay. I've never told the story, actually. Fly to LA and I'm covering American Idol. And we are one of the few to be on set. And maybe I won't say the name of who. Obviously Simon Cowell. But anyway, go ahead. No, no. And we are only four outlets on the carpet. And there's CBS, CBS Digital, myself, and someone else. So this person comes down the carpet. I interview all the judges. And everyone's great. And then this other person comes, and I'm so excited to meet her. Oh, I'm so excited to meet them. They come down and does the interview with CBS, does the interview with the CBS social, and then looks me dead in the eye and looks down at my shoes, looks back up at me, 
and looks back at my eye and continues to walk by me. And I'm like, flew all the way there, was so excited. I watched all of American Idol. I was in the audience. It was, wouldn't give me the time of day. My PR person goes to the Idol's publicist like, what happened? Like, why would she give what? And she's like, well, all we can imagine is we think that you may remind her of someone she doesn't like. And she thinks that you might be her or she just doesn't even want to go there. I'm really sorry. There's nothing we can do. Oh, I was devastated because I'd never met her before. Um, I was so excited to do the interview. And so that was a real bummer. And I still have never interviewed her yet. So I, I one day I would love to interview her. And I've heard she's lovely. So it really must have been she had a bad experience with someone who looked like me. And maybe she just didn't. Yeah. You are far too forgiving, Cheryl. But um, it's just proof. It happens to everybody, right? There's somebody you just wish I hadn't had that experience. And well, you're yeah. a better person than me to say you'd still uh, go forth and do it. You still well, got a good attitude. Because I want to believe that, like, listen, I truly do believe that people have bad days and sometimes you don't show up as your best self. And like that, you know, that has happened to you before for sure. And it's happened, certainly happened to me before. So I'd like to believe that that's what it is. Now, on that note where this unnamed person possibly mistook you for someone in yeah. real life, Cheryl Hickey, who yeah. do you get mistaken for? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't get mistaken for... I don't... Okay, that's pretty I, good I then. I really had anything. Um, <laughs> sometimes people think I work for the competing entertainment show. Sometimes that happens. But that's, you know, but that's just mixing up the names so well let's twist it over to what's the weirdest place you've been recognized any weird airport or geography that you wouldn't have expected someone would recognize you well once i i was at the hospital and i had kidney stones and i was in a very compromised position and the doctors and nurses really wanted to talk about entertainment tonight and um, so in between me wailing and being like oh my god I was giving them the latest detail. So that was different. And you had to be good because they're caring for you. You had to play along. They're caring for me and their viewers. So I was like, thanks for watching. I'm dying. Speaking of uh, viewers and fan mail, is fan mail still a thing? Do you get actual letters in the mail or is that something from the past? Um, yes, we don't really get much fan mail now. Usually if someone mails something, it's concerning. Um, but... <laughs> So not a lot of mail, but certainly I think social media is a new thing, right? Like people, we I communicate with people who watch the show via DM all the time. And I, I have to say, I'm so incredibly grateful that people, gosh, have us in their house every night. Like it's a choice, right, of what you're going to watch. And with so much right now that people can be watching, the fact that people tune into ET Canada as much as they do and have us in their house, um, especially during COVID as a as a form of comfort or something that they can count on is not lost on me even for a moment. And then to go even further into the digital age on TikTok and, and Instagram, the people that um, are watching my account, I'm I'm grateful that they're there. It's it's really lovely. So that's a new way of communicating with people that I think is really wonderful. And have you already jumped onto threads? I did. <laughs> I did. I don't know what to do with it yet, but I definitely am there. Listen, I'm a little bit over Twitter. 
I still have an account and from time to time I'll repost something. But I mean, time to time is like every once, every two months. I stopped looking at it um, because I found it's become a really hurtful and hateful place. And I just don't have the stomach for that. So I, uh, what I let into my universe is there's a lot of people and things that encourage people to live their best life and that are helpful and not hurtful. And so I found that Twitter's become a very, it's not a great place. So I, I don't go there very much. I'm hoping threads will maybe be something different. Maybe it can be more positive. We're going to find out. I hope so. Cheryl, let's talk about your partnership with Alaire Homes. If I may, I'm going to set this up. Alaire is the largest and fastest growing premium construction management franchise in North America, and they have partnered with you to highlight the home building industry and support the Sick Kids Foundation. Alaire Ontario and you, Cheryl Hickey, have together created a digital docuseries chronicling the design, planning, and total transformation of your Toronto family home into your dream home. This renovation collaboration is aptly named Living Better with Cheryl Hickey, a modern family home makeover. The docuseries features a total of five phases, each with a main summary episode and extended content on project milestones. Our listeners can view these on YouTube and Facebook as they get posted throughout the summer. Now, presumably, Cheryl, the actual renovation is now complete. Almost. There's still, as there are... There's always something. There's always something. And I think, you know, listen, we came out of COVID where there were some massive delays and things have been... So we are, I would say, 95% finished. But we're not quite there yet. But it, we're on our way. Yeah, we 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 decided this is our forever home, and, and we moved here when my son was one one, so that's thirteen years ago. And we didn't want to move because we love our neighbors. We have the best neighbors in the world, and also the location is very close to where I work, and just everything is is where we need it to be. And we didn't want to tear down this home because I I really believe in the soul and the energy of a house. And this house has some incredible energy and we have a lot of wonderful memories in this house. Our kids took their first steps. Just, yeah, it's it's imprinted in every square foot of this home. So it wasn't that I wanted to tear it down and get rid of it because more is just more. I don't want more to clean. And we're always all in the same room anyway. Like there's, why more? No more. So what I wanted was just to reinvent and just to breathe the new life into her. So we were looking for partners and then we got talking with Alaire and and I quickly realized how dedicated they are to community and also how dedicated they are to highlighting and sharing companies that are also doing really great work. I know this industry, I worked on Family Home Overhaul, a show on HGTV, and I worked with some really incredible uh, contractors, tradesmen. And I, I thought, I feel like people need to know who these people are and we need to highlight where, you know, who's good because it, it's it's very difficult to know who to trust, right? So when Alaire came along, we started talking about how do we shine a light on some of these companies and show people that da da And so then, boom, this project came to be. And then we decided to make a fun video series that people can follow along and watch, um, do some lives to give some people a platform. And then... We also, I've been working with Sick Kids for years and, you know, whether it's going to events or doing helping do campaigns or pushing things forward on social, getting people to donate during Christmas and a better gifts program, all that kind of stuff. And then Alaire had a lot of their team members who have really strong connections with Sick Kids via, you know, maybe some kids who've actually been there or family members. And 
so we got talking about, well, let's add a, a charity component to this. And they've committed incredibly to $100,000 over the course of five years. And they've already raised 20000 uh, 20000 no, $23,500 already. And they're still going. So it's sort of, it, it started in one way and it's become so much more than just our house. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of the Alaire team. And I know, I think we're going to keep working together past this because I, I really think they need their own reality show because they're just, they're incredible. They've got franchises all over the place and each franchise has its own special something like ones that the ones in Collingwood, it's a special kind of brand, the ones in, in up in King City, a different kind of brand, Forest Hill, you name it, even some in the States. They're incredible people with the same heart, same commitment to community, but then their own unique style in each place, which is really wonderful. Well, that's great to hear because anyone who's been through a renovation, it's hit or miss whether it's going to work. So to see you smiling as you get to the 95% stage yeah. uh, speaks highly of the whole project. Cheryl, you were named one of Hello Magazine's 50 most beautiful people. Does oh. your husband brag about this to his buddies? Oh, and do, do, do the wives of your husband's buddies hate you? <laughs> No, no, because I don't even know. I don't even know how I ended up on that list. It's make a pair of lights and good angles. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Although I'm very grateful for that. I, I'm sure when I'm 70, I'll be like, well, I was nicked one of the most beautiful people. I don't know that people talk like that when they're 70. I don't think maybe. When I'm 90, maybe. So yes. you definitely want to have that frame for when you're 90, for sure. sure. Yeah. As we close up, Cheryl, I want to ask, in addition to your work with LR Homes and your ET Canada hosting duties, is there anything else you're working on you want to tell us about? Um, I'm always working on on different things and and trying to to expand my own personal brand and do things that that help people in their lives. And I started this thing called um, the Healthy Family Program with Suzanne Galuzzo. Um, it's about helping people learn how to eat better within their families and bring uh, family together through nutrition. So we've got that online program that we have. And then there's some other things coming up soon that I can't really talk about. People always say that, but there's things in the hopper that I don't want to speak on too soon. But yeah, always, always looking to do new things. I, 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 I'm not a person who sits quietly very well. So I always like to have my hands in different things. It is good to have things in the hopper. That's key. Yeah. Well, we know we can follow you on threads. Where else should we follow you, Cheryl? You can follow me on TikTok, just under my name, Cheryl Hickey. Same on Instagram. And uh, I'm on Twitter, but again, not really there. Cheryl, it was great to meet you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your stories. And I want to wish you uh, continued success going forward. Aw, thank you so much for having me. This was so nice. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. And to the listeners, on behalf of Cheryl Hickey, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast.
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have faults. He had the same amount of faults as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.